this is your time. How can we earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? That is our guiding question here at the Free Time Cafe, your home for heart-based business. I'm your host, Jenny Blake. Join me for conversations with authors, friends, and fellow business owners as we explore ways to free your mind, time, and team to do your best work. Now, on to today's show. Hello, my friends. Welcome back. I am so giddy to have my good friend Leanne Hughes here with us today. Leanne is an international facilitator, trusted advisor, and speaker who loves creating unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. This is Leanne and my three-year friend anniversary, but she's based in Brisbane, Australia. So it wasn't until several years into our friendship that we got to meet in person over brunch in New York City. Shout out to Dory and Petra who were there too. And Leanne is just somebody who I think if anybody puts serendipity as a business strategy to work, it is one Miss Leanne Hughes. She is just so bright, so brilliant, lights up every room. We're just celebrating her two-year business anniversary since busting out on her own. And in that time, I'm just astonished. She has a podcast called First Time Facilitator with, at the time of this recording, 167 episodes. She's launching a course called Booked Out Facilitator, and she runs a private community, all kinds of things. Leanne, welcome to the show. Oh, Jenny, thank you so much for that amazing intro. And I could easily just say the most wonderful things about you, which I probably will through this through this conversation. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. And we should also give a shout out to Pat Flynn. Not that he's listening, although I'd be thrilled if he was, because that's how we first connected. And why don't we start there? Because before I even met you, you have the most epic podcast origin story. And I think it's really a testament to your it's it's actually an approach for you it's not some kind of weird like networking thing but you are just so good at finding people that you resonate with and and like actually reaching out and making contact like <laughs> this is a skill of yours i really admire so can you tell us your podcast origin story because it relates to pat flynn and then we can wind over to how we met and oh, yeah. the spiral from there. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll talk about the Pat Flynn thing first, because that sort of weaves into, as you said, the podcast origin story. But I was working in a corporate job. I felt like a, a small fish in a, in a big pond, and I just didn't feel like I was adding any value to my organization, working in learning and development. And uh, so what I do is before work every day, I just listen to Pat Flynn. It was like escapism, learning about passive income and something that I could do on the side. And I remember that morning, it was a dark overcast day in Brisbane. I was on the train and then the interview with you came up and it felt like there was just sunshine in the, in the train carriage. I'm like, who is this Jenny Blake? Uh, so I ended up buying Pivot and then obviously that's how, how our sort of connection began. And then listening to Pat Flynn, listening to you, then I discovered Jordan Harbinger. He ended up speaking at a conference in Brisbane called We Are Podcast. Now, I love listening to podcasts. I never had any intention of starting one. Jordan was at the event, so I thought, I'll get a ticket, I'll jump along, I just want to hear him speak. And during intermission, the MC walks onto stage and he says, right, we're giving away a couple of business books to win. You must enter your podcast name and what it's about and pop it in the hat to win. And I thought, oh, I would really like to win these books, but I don't have a podcast. So I just created, I mean, I love alliteration. And at the time I was running workshops and the advice given to me was, look, if you just start a podcast, do it about something that you'd like to learn more about. 
Uh, I wanted to learn about how to manage a room effectively. So I just wrote first time facilitator down because that's who I was. I was a first time facilitator. I put it in the hat and I said, right, if this gets chosen, I'm going to start this podcast. And there's hundreds of people at this event. And so I put it on, I think it was like a bright blue post-it note. I put it in the hat and I just kind of, I just knew Jenny, like as he's announcing it, he reaches in, it was slow motion and he pulls out this blue post-it note. Leanne Hughes, first time facilitator, come on stage and let us know what your podcast is about and who it's for. So in the 30 seconds running up to stage, I just created the pitch for the podcast and who it was for. And then three months later, I, I released it. So that was the story. No plans to podcast ever, but the plans found me, I guess, and it's been the best thing. That is so, it is such an epic story. And I just can't imagine, did your stomach drop and your heart beep out of your chest when yes. they read your name? <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, what? Like, uh, first of all, and I, I told, um, we got mutual friends, Nicole and Omar, and afterwards I said, look, that was what, no one else knew that was my story. I just had to pretend that I had this podcast. So um, I was, I felt all the emotions and uh, yeah, just, it really was slow motion when he reached into that. And I knew that my kind of life was going to change, which sounds really, um, well, I can say that on your show because you believe in this stuff too. And I the funny sure thing was, certainly Jenny, do. yeah, the year, the year later, I actually pitched the organiser to MC that event and the keynote speaker was Pat Flynn. So we got to hang out down the Gold Coast for a few nights and yeah, it's just full circle moment, really. See, this is so you because it's like, I don't know how you do this. Although again, it is serendipity and you the thing is, you wrote your podcast name on a blue piece of paper, even though it didn't exist yet. And that's you. I feel like you, at every step, are willing to take these, I would call that a big risk, but small risks, large and small. And the fact that you went to the conference, they put out this call for podcasts, you wrote your fictional one down. And then <laughs> instead of getting to stage and saying, oh, this doesn't really exist, haha, you just went with it. I love that. I love that so much. And then meeting Pat Flynn, I'm not surprised. It's like, w tell me your approach because you you joined Momentum and um, this is now my a program that is closed. It was a, a private community for heart-based business owners. You joined January 2018. And uh, by the time you were coming to the States, it just felt like the most normal thing in the world that we would have brunch, you mm -hmm. know, even though I don't think there was an official meetup when you were in town or did we make our one meetup was when you were yeah, there we in your honor? The, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. On that the was it. Okay. Of, yeah. yeah. I'm looking at the Empire State so Building. How do you do this? And, and I know that there are a lot of people who travel to Brisbane and to Australia that you're able to kind of get, get time with who might not otherwise say yes. And I just wonder, how do you do this, Leanne? This feels like a real superpower of yours. Yeah. Um, thank you. I don't even recognize it really as a superpower, but I think it goes back to what you spoke about at the beginning in values alignment and seeking out people that are just so aligned with your values that it is a no-brainer then to catch up. I haven't had Simon Sinek on my show. I don't feel compelled to really network and like, I think he's wonderful, but the values alignment for me, it isn't as strong as something that I'd have with you or say like an MBS who I've also met in Brisbane um, or a Pat Flynn. So I think it comes down to that's the first is the key, the key criteria is I'm not reaching out to Dennis Rodman's of the world. It's I'm it's quite selective, but I think it's, um, I'm trying to re-engineer this. I think you I like also add value. Like you're somebody yeah. who, you were the most recent to starting your business when we had the brunch in New York City. And yet you were right there throwing out resources. And it's not to say, oh, someone has to add so much value or X mm -hmm. amount of value in order to have a seat at the table. But it just felt like such a natural fit. 
that maybe it's your curiosity, your resourcefulness, your love of learning. It's like you you bring a lot to these interactions as well. You're not the type that sits down and says, hey, can I pick your brain over coffee? I'm going to oh. be in New York City. Like, I think that'd be the last thing you would say. Yeah, that's right. I think, and yeah, so energy, and I think you talk about this a lot, Jenny, energy is, is really important. A giving mindset is, and, and I think uh, I got that idea from Jordan as well. He talks about networking and he, and he says, I think he had someone young on his show ask him about how do I add value to someone, a really experienced CEO of a company. And he said, there's actually things that you can teach them and add value that you're not even aware of. So it could be helping them out with WhatsApp or a tech tool. So I guess I try to figure that out. And this isn't done in a sort of scheming way. Just again, it comes naturally to me. But as we dissect it, it sounds like that. Um, I just think, oh, what would this person need or want? And then I, I try to offer that. And I think the energy is really important. I like bringing like a happy vibe. I often joke about uh, in the book, Harry Potter, the, the Dementors in that and those energy yes. suckers and I just, you know, no one wants to be around them. So how can you be the opposite of that? Um, but that brunch, like I was, I mean, just to all the listeners that are listening, like I was really nervous going to that lunch. I knew that you, yourself and Dory would be there and I wanted, not that I prepared or anything. I was just happy to, I mean, you made it such an amazing environment as well. So it also comes back to, like I said, that values alignment and the people that you're connecting with. Well, you are definitely one of the brightest anti-Dementor, <laughs> like <laughs> so bright. And it is true. I remember after we met in person and I told you, I'm like, your energy, it's just, it's going to take you so far. Like this radiant spirit that you have, it's such a superpower alone, like regardless of your proactive outreach to whomever, there's a, a momentum that you have in your, of your spirit. That's like, I think it's like a magnet. And I also feel that when we're really, when we are happy in our own lives, as so cheesy as it is, like, I hate to even repeat this advice, but you know, it's like, oh, when you love yourself, then other people can love you. But I actually do think when you're like, excited in your own life, which you were and you are, there's this magnet where people want to be around that excitement. Like, you don't have to manufacture it just through adding value, quote unquote. Mm. It's like there's a magnetism. Uh, thank you. And I, that's exactly right. The, it's important to really maintain and manage your own energy. And I think it's easy to do that when things are going well. The challenge is to do it when things aren't going well, when you feel confused, when you're in, in between spaces. I think that's when it's the challenge to to do that because you said, yeah, you've got to actually lead it from from within. The other thing I just wanted to add to that is is also kind of being a bit gutsy and just th just thinking that life is a bit of a playground as well. So when I pitched to Ronsley, the We Are podcast organizer of emceeing his event the following year, I had, there was we didn't have an existing relationship. I'd never emceed anything that big before, but that wasn't going to stop me from asking the question. So it's it's a bit of I like to call it constructive delusion. Is just just think that, look, what if this actually came off? Wouldn't that be amazing? And it's worth the payoff every time. If, if they say no, it's a no, but if it works, how amazing is that? And that's, you just start grabbing amazing opportunities. Constructive delusion. Mm. <laughs> Love that. And how did it go emceeing that event, given that it was uh -huh. bigger than anything you had done? Unreal, of course. Like, yeah, it was probably, it was, I was still working in corporate at the time. And I just felt when I got back to work after emceeing the event, and then going back to the office on the Tuesday, I, I was in two different worlds. I'm like, what am I even doing here? And it really honed home that I really need to be needed to leave and just and just start my own thing. I was I was floating the entire time. I can imagine, and it really is. It provides that contrast of aliveness. You're mm -hmm. like, okay, this is when I'm my most alive in my strengths. 
operating your zone of genius and you have the adrenaline of all those people looking at you, you know, and connecting with your peers or heroes in the industry. Yeah, it would be hard to go back to a desk after that. Yeah, I remember introducing Pat for his final keynote and just thinking, who is this person on stage? Like, who am I? Uh, It's like, this is your future self that you haven't yet lived into yet, but it's like giving you the coming attraction. And you're right. It's really exciting when you find that. So another thing you've done is invested in yourself. I think at every single step along the way, you also create this, I call it serendipity popcorn. You know, you, you, you plant these kernels because you'll sign up for a conference. You joined Momentum. And most recently, we were talking about you signed up for a 12-session coaching engagement with Alan Weiss, who is super well-known in at least some of our circles for his books, Million Dollar Speaker, Million Dollar Consulting. He has endless million-dollar series. And as you reminded me, it's directly related to free time because Alan Weiss believes true wealth is discretionary time, which I had heard him say, but you reminded me. Tell us, what's it like coaching with Alan? What was your experience? And do you have any like, major game changer ahas that he's helped you create? Yeah, well, I think the watershed was when I had him on my podcast. And halfway through, because he talks about everything that we do, we're in the business of marketing, we're not in the business of consulting. He has a lot of those awesome catchphrases, which you just, when you listen to it again and again, you're like, oh yeah, how true is this? And so I was asking him, how do you market your business while you're delivering? And he said, well, because uh, at the time I was busy contracting out, I was working a 30-hour week and he said, well, your business model is wrong. And he said that on the podcast. I was like, what did he mean by that? Uh, and I, so straight away, I sort of reached out and I said, look, I think I need your help because you're right. I'm, and the irony is, Johnny, we're talking on a podcast about free time uh, and real wealth is discretionary time. I think he works about 20 hours a week. So yeah, I have had coaches all the way through. Alan has been the guy that has challenged me the most. It after every session, usually after coaching, you sort of feel good and like I I can make progress and I, I know what I need to do next. I, I get that with him sometimes, but I also find that he really echoes back to me some of my insecurities. Okay, we I have to know like yeah. what, and I also want to know when he said your business model's broken. Yes, what was broken about it, and where? How are you thinking about it now? Yeah, so well at the time, and what I'm still doing is I've got podcasts about facilitation. My medium, my zone of genius, is running workshops and delivering training sessions. And he said, "Well, if you're delivering, I mean, how are you going to make?" Coming from the million dollar consulting perspective, if you're busy delivering, how will you have any free time? And so he talks about moving to an advisor level where you're known for your expertise, and instead of working front of stage with clients, you work backstage with them almost like a phone a friend, and you personally advise on, on helping them uh, to make progress in their business. And I hadn't even thought of being an advisor beforehand. Like I said, I'd put my hand on heart being that facilitator. So that really sort of jolted me in my tracks and thought, well, he's right. If I am trading, that's what facilitation is. It's trading time for money, if you, even if you are doing value-based fees. And so how can I move to this level of advisor, which is low touch, but high revenue? That's where I am at the moment, trying to figure that out. And and it really, every session is like, look, you're defaulting to training. You're defaulting to workshops. I'm like, you're right, you're right. The other thing he called out, Jenny, is my bright, shiny object syndrome and how I seem to chase every tech tool that's out there, like Clubhouse as an example, which I have now have moved away from. And Jenny, you're like this. So he thinks social media is a joke and to not spend any time on it. So that was really interesting too, because when I first started my business, every day I was posting on LinkedIn. And yeah, he's I remember a, you're you're so active yeah. and you seem to really enjoy it. 
And I remember thinking, you go. Like, if you love all that so much, like, do your thing. I like knowing that I'm as cranky a curmudgeon as Alan Weiss, like, because I know he's a proudly <laughs> cranky curmudgeon. Yes, he is. He is proudly. Uh, yeah, he talks about, t- he's very, it's very much tough love. And it um, sounds like it, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And he says, look, your economic buyers, they aren't scrolling on LinkedIn trying to find an advisor or facilitator. That's how I They're feel just- too. Yeah. That's how I feel. I was like, oh, yeah, you're so right. Plus, he also challenged who my economic buyers really were because I was targeting learning and development people and human resources. Yeah, um, On our podcast, he said that HR, have you heard this phrase from him, what HR stands for? Oh, boy, what it tell me. <laughs> Hardly relevant. Yeah, that's such a wise thing. I mean, he is cranky. Let's just yeah. say, if you, if you read some of his books, like the way he talks about procurement, is like, I'd rather poke my eyes out with a fork than have my contract land in procurement's office, you know? Yeah. So he recommends making them not look too legal jargony because the second it's kicked to legal or procurement, you're screwed, which actually did happen to me, <laughs> you know? Mm. Oh my gosh. That's the thing. Like, I sort of want to argue some of the points he makes, but you can't because he, he is actually right. And that's, <laughs> look, that's the thing. If you work with someone, I think he's over 70 now. His experience has published 60 books. He's, he is like, he's the guy that he, he preaches to be. Every time I sort of have an objection to what he's saying, it's like, well, actually, and maybe he is right. So then this is forced in the space of 12 weeks. I'm thinking this whole worldview of what I'd started it's now I've got to move direction and I, I hope it that it's a pivot but it seems like I need to sort of take a few steps back really evaluate and that to, to move forward and then this sort of links into our earlier conversation is when you're in that confused liminal state it's hard to keep that radiant energy up because you're feeling kind of stuck so that, that's where I'm at at the moment yeah I find that very very difficult as well we I did an interview with Penny Pierce. We talked about liminal state and feeling like a goose state. And that was one of the most popular Jenny and Penny conversations. I'll throw it in the show notes because I think so many people can relate, myself included. I think by nature, that liminal reflective taking a step back, it's not the bubbly, optimistic, confident. It's hard to have you. It's I don't even know if those two energies go together in that time, in that season. Of, of pivoting, if you will. No, and I'm trying to manufacture it. Like, so, but, and that's fine. Like, I'll, daily I'll keep it up through I, I, effective morning routines, like running and, and doing what I can to physiologically keep it up. But then you sort of sit down and you're metaphorically looking in the mirror and you're thinking, gosh, when is this going to actually click into gear? And I'm sort of waiting it, like, do I push it into to gear or do I wait for it to click into gear? And like you said before, my whole business model has been on serendipity. And so it's all about trusting, but at the same time, you just want to get things moving. I know. And oh, and isn't it true that our mind has always like twice an accelerated timeline as what's actually in flow? <laughs> you yes. know, like I notice my mind will be like, I should have it figured out by now. I should know by now. And then what's actually in flow, it just has its own timeline. I wonder, do you also feel like, do you feel clear on what you want to become an expert or an advisor on? Is it just is no. it just shifting? <laughs> like, do you want to become an, because you have 160 plus episodes on different facets of facilitation. Do you feel like you would want to advise people on facilitation or are you thinking way bigger, more broadly than that? Yeah, well, I think the when I look at the common de- denominator with all those interviews and why I love facilitation, there's a few elements. That's what I'm sort of picking out. Like, what are the elements of facilitation that I love? And the, the good thing about like I'm not in a place where I'm a specialist. I can actually this is this is so this is good. 
what do I like? I like about creating great group dynamics and getting people aligned, right? So that can help basically anyone in any company. And I think that's what Alan, he said to me, you're caught in a success trap because you've reached success doing this. It is applicable, but you've got to figure out how to really hone that in. In fact, in one, in one call, he called me a flying barn, Jenny. Because I was, this is the type of conversation you've got to a kind of have. Like, barn, a flying like barn? Like as, as in Wizard plane. of Oz? Yeah, because you need direction. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, like you're this sort of flying so around. Harsh. Yeah, it's like, no, so, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alan. I have to disagree with you a little bit. I think you've had incredible <laughs> precision and directionality to what you're doing. Yes, you are trying a few different things. You've definitely diversified your pilots, you know. You're not a flying, you're not a rudderless barn. Uh, no, I don't accept. Oh, Sorry. You're lovely. And this is being recorded too. Amazing. But yeah, so it's figuring out what, what that can help and then actually putting that in language to communicate that to your buyer. And the, the really counterintuitive thing about this is I'm so used to having a product or service and saying, this is what I stand for. Um, come to me if you need help on this, but it's different. It's actually seeking people out, seeing what they have problems with, and then using your process skills to then uh, recommend a solution for that. So it's all about listening and and also pivoting during conversations and getting really good with how you use your language and questions. And that is new to me. So and there's something there's something you said in there too of applying your process. And and this is where this is why I share in the Free Up Founder Time mini course that the book that took me eight years to finish is E Myth Revisited. <laughs> because I was so bored the first time I read that book, like just truly bored. And I felt like I don't want to run a McDonald's. Why do I need to set up my business like McDonald's? But what he describes is that the way you work on your business, like one of the biggest products of the business is the business itself and that your process is valuable and that the more time you spend developing your process, the more value you can offer. And that took me a while too to realize, oh yeah, I'm not just delivering services. I have a process behind my way of thinking or my way of problem solving or my <laughs> way of researching a next book that I can tell when my book has been plagiarized, because, which it has, the examples are so unique and drawn from such crazy different related sources that it's not a coincidence. And I didn't notice until that had happened, I didn't notice that, oh, I had any particularly unique process, for example. So I think it's really powerful what, what he's coaching you to do, which is, it's so hard because the comfort zone is in the subject matter expertise, mm -hmm. right? That's the comfort zone. That's like the obvious low-hanging fruit, to use a corpse-speak metaphor. Oh, definitely. And that's how we see, that's how I guess we're all used to seeing consultants pitch themselves. Like, I'm the change management guru. I'm the communications person. But it's not about that. And I'm like, whoa, this is icky. When I think about what, how do I then market this? How do I have these conversations? Process, oh gosh. Yeah, process it is. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. The being three years in now um, and just recognizing that that is the core of the business that will drive it. And also when I, this is a stage where I've created everything. I've also been uh, leading and doing most of it myself. And now this in this third year, it's really time to double down on the process. So your podcast is a real gift for this point. Well, it's always been, but uh, now that you're looking at free time as well. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm having fun. As I said to Leanne before we hit record, I actually don't want this podcast to be interviewing experts about their area of expertise, which which I did a lot on Pivot. And I think there's value to that. Like, okay, someone has a new book out. Let's talk about what have you learned? What are you sharing? But I'm finding it so fun to understand how 
are you creating things? What have you figured out behind the scenes? How are you streamlining your time and your team? And and like, and that is so alive for me too, for me personally. So I'm enjoying like, I think that's, that's something too that everyone says, oh, niche down, the riches are in the niches. <laughs> but I don't think I realized that honing the audience so specifically that this is for business owners, specifically heart-based business owners, the conversations can get so fun because they can be so specific. And that's something that's something I'm really enjoying. And that's kind of like a little process tweak behind the scenes or actually a big pivot more than a tweak. And and with you discovering that, was it and like how long was that sort of nagging feeling sitting with you? Like I I've got this pivot podcast, it's doing really well, yet this is the audience I want to serve. Were you like were you sitting in that space for a while before you made the decision to to move over to this? You know what's crazy? Because you were part of Momentum since January twenty eighteen. I looked it up. It's our three year friend anniversary. I I was having so so much fun in Momentum doing the two calls a month and even a workshop on top of that. And Pivot Insider, it ended up quite a lot of stuff. And I felt so safe because I was like, oh, I don't have to pretend to be a business expert to the whole world. I just get to share my quirky philosophy with this group of people that, you know, I know and love and hopefully some amount Mm -hmm. vice versa. Like there's no trolls hanging out in Momo, as we called it. And so I was just so safe and cozy, basically. And I felt like, all right, anything I'm learning in my business, I can share with Momo and I'm not going to get like ripped to shreds or like vetted by the trolls, capital T, capital T, you know, (laughs) which is kind of like silly. And then meantime, on Pivot, I would always be torn because there would be things I was super interested in, but it just wasn't appropriate to constantly talk about this one facet of pivoting or where someone's at in their career, because certainly not everyone runs their own business or even wants to. So I always felt kind of bad. There would be topics that I was so fascinated by. And it just was never quite a fit. And it wasn't until the pandemic hit and all my all my speaking work <laughs> facilitation went away. So talk about shifting out of service provider mode. And then realizing that if I wanted to create a new book and podcast based on heart-based business, which was the number one thing that kept my business afloat in 2020, it wasn't the big clients. It was our small business community. Then in order for me to create anything new and actually go public, go all in, as I shared in episode one, that's when I realized, okay, well, then I need to, I need to say no to some things. Maybe like you said, I needed to, (laughs) I had a heavy flying barn, like my flying barn had like 12 streams of income, you know, and I just desperately wanted some focus because as well, I was so exhausted from all the events of 2020 and having a puppy and living in the city. I was just like too tired to keep going the same way. So that's my that's my perfect storm to keep with the Wizard of Oz and the <laughs> barn. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you for asking. No, of course, no, of course. And it's um, it's great that you brought up the twelve streams of income and then focus as well. And uh, that's something that I'm focusing on this year is just one one flagship course, keep the podcast going, and then a few corporate clients here and there. Actually, Jenny, the other day I was I was caught up with a, a guy from my old company who's now left and he's a consultant as well. And one of his first questions to me was, so are you busy? And I remember flinching when he asked me that. I was trying to sort of, I reflected on that afterwards, like, why did I flinch? And I think it's probably back to the philosophy of this podcast is that we associate busyness with being successful. So I'm wondering what that new question would look like. Yeah, it's funny. And then you wonder, okay, what are they really asking? So I think he's asking, Mm -hmm. are you doing okay? Like, I can tell my, my grandma when she says, 
how's business? Like, how, how is it? She she's kind of wants to know what I'm working on, but also like, are you okay? Are you earning enough money? Like, can you survive? You know, I, I realize like sometimes when my family asks me that question, it's not usually phrased, are you busy? But the equivalent, it's kind of like, are you getting by? Especially if there's somebody who might want to do that someday. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the word busy, I think, I think in our circles in the podcast sphere, everyone's like, I'll never say I'm busy. And I agree. I agree. I try not to say, oh, I'm so busy. It's like, because busy is a badge in our culture that I don't ascribe to. I want to be less busy. You know, just like the whole ethos of this podcast, free time. It's like, I will be proud. The the less busy I am, the prouder I'll be. And the more focused. Like you said, it's incredible focusing on one flagship course. Now I finally understand. You only have one set of processes and emails to write and like, oh my goodness. I mean, that's complex enough to just get one flagship course in a flywheel of success and momentum, let alone 10 other things. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. And that's, sorry, I'm just in the, in the beginning stages now, but you're right. It, it then And then anytime you sort of um, do an appearance or it's all about, yeah, getting into that, in, uh, channeling to that one flagship as opposed to, oh, this might be a good fit or this or this. So, yeah, I, I find it, finding it very refreshing. Although difficult, of course, because you think, oh, there's an opportunity or I could try this. Um, I know. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the whole thing of the book Rocket Fuel, that there is a visionary and an integrator and the visionary does have a million ideas constantly. <laughs> And then the integrator's job is to basically say no and stay focused on the strategy, keep the trains running on time. So in a way, Leanne, it's it's almost like you are a visionary and you are full of ideas and every single one is probably a good idea. And I also think it's interesting with sometimes in the coaching realm where that even Alan Weiss, it's like he is going to help you become what he does best, which is a trusted advisor. And he's going to give you straight from the source, that model. And then I think it's so interesting to really sit with it and go, does this resonate? Do I want to be a trusted advisor? Do I enjoy the work of being a trusted advisor? Because I've also found that like, I've had coaches coach me on how they sell, you know, a $100,000 coaching contract. But when I was in the moment, there reached a point for me with my one-on-one coaching slash advisory strategist practice where I, I didn't want to do it anymore, mm. you know? And I was like, so in that case, there does need to be a shift. Like, so I don't know. I wonder how you think about that. Cause it's hard when you have such a powerful and opinionated coach, <laughs> you know, you always want to try it on. You have to, you have to try on what they're saying. We'll be right back just after this. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Um, there's a Carl Jung quote, um, he who looks outside dreams, who, he who looks inside awakens. So it's that balance of understanding like what's going on externally and hearing this, hearing this advice. And uh, sometimes I actually have to turn off podcasts because I'm so confused with what people are actually telling me versus what I think myself. Um, what I'm doing this year is I've got a 21 minute a day writing challenge and I try and use that opportunity to, to journal and really nut things out and think like, what do I actually want to do? And similar to what your approach in, in Pivot and casting that vision for what it is in a year and what does that perfect day look like for me? So I think there's elements of advisory work, which I think would work. But I also, of course, like I love being around groups. That's why I picked facilitation. So I've got to have a bit of a mix. And I think I know that that overall, whatever I do has to have a bit of a, a mixed medium mode. 
yeah, so that's how I, I sort of I, I use writing to do it. When I go running in the morning, I use that as an opportunity. And like I said, I've had to just switch off listening to external like podcasts and things because I always get on that train of, oh, I need to be doing more. But I think what we've got already is inside us. It's just picking it out and, yeah, just sensing the, the truth that's within. I love that young quote. I also love, oh, gosh, who is it? I'm going to bungle it. Emerson or something like, I'm not a teacher. I'm an awakener. Oh, it's just so good. I have a magnet for that one, a fridge magnet. <laughs> I, I okay, this is something I struggle with because you know, some people call it procrastinate learning. And in Pivot, I, I say I wrote it for people who are high net growth. And it's almost like, yes, it's within you. And yet, so much of what I've learned has come from listening to podcasts, reading books having conversations. So it is such a balance of this mm-hmm. voracious love, true love of learning, as I know you have too, with when to shut it all down and then mm-hmm. really go inward and say, what do I already know? What's within me? Yeah, Don Miller, you know, Don Miller from StoryBrand. Yes. He's got a great uh, program. It's called Hero on a Mission, which I've been doing this year as well. So th- this is the whole procrastinate learning, but this is actually very, very valuable, <laughs> this exercise. So you write your 10-year vision down, your five-year, your one-year and as you reflect every day, you're actually meant to read your visions before you even start on your reflection piece. So in advance, you've decided on what you want for your future. You read it back every day, which, is, which reminds you. And that help, that is really helping me filter out the stuff that doesn't align to what that vision is. So that's been just a very practical way of doing that. Is that reflection on what I want and then going, okay, is uh, this is what I committed to this year, but what's getting in the way? So like you said before, a lot of the hard stuff with being an integrator is just saying no to things. Um, and that's what this process has helped me do. You also mentioned when we were going back and forth prior to recording, you said you've been really moved by Jim Collins, who makes one, let's call it a master decision to eliminate all the tiny decisions that might follow. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard Tim Ferriss talk about this. I wonder if that's who he picked it up from, but where he, he'll make a decision like, I'm not reading any books that were published in 2021. Therefore, it eliminates all the decisions about who to have on his podcast, who has a new book out, what he's going to read, what publicists are going to send. He just puts a blanket rule or like no more investing in startups. Blanket rule that eliminates all the coffee talks and vetting these companies and meetings that might follow. So I'd love to hear from you. Do you remember where you picked that up from Jim Collins? And then, yeah. And how is that playing out for you? That was a Jim Collins interview with Tim Ferriss. So you've already connected the two right there. That was his first interview with Tim. He's done a few, but that first one was- Hashtag procrastinate learning. See, this is what allows us to do, I guess. (laughs) Our powers combined. Yeah, just going, sorry. That's right. It just made so much sense when I heard that. Um, And it probably comes back to what Steve Jobs was doing every day as well. He said, right, I'm just going to wear the same outfit every day. So eliminated that. Um, yeah. So, I've, so I think this process, the hero and a mission has helped me do that as well, because it's like, right, one flagship course. So I won't be doing a webinar. I won't be doing any paid webinars. It just eliminates the, uh, the itch to do things like that in the moment, which I know can serve my audience. But also just coming from like a back to a practical home level. Uh, so last year I decided to run 2020 kilometers um, in the year. So that eliminated any other exercise. It was just get up in the morning and go for a run. This year, I've also taken a leaf from your book, Jenny, and we're getting um, meals delivered every fortnight, Yay. Every, every two weeks. <laughs> so that I, eliminates. I love it. So much, right? The other thing during COVID last year, and you've got a dog too, but now I have a spreadsheet of all the dog locations around our area and what they're good for at what time of day. If it's raining, um, if I want to talk to people, I've kind of ranked them. And so that helps me 
if I'm like in the afternoon, they go on two walks a day. They're very spoiled. It's like, okay, this is this is the place we can take them to. So just having that on paper eliminates that decision. So anytime I get sort of frustrated with a daily decision I have to make, I try and make that do the Jim Collins and make a broad umbrella decision that might help eliminate eliminate that time each day to consider those options. I love that. Yeah, before we got Ryder, you were the one that said, I look forward to my morning walk with the dogs every day. Mm-hmm. You're like, just that fresh air. But that's so you. That's that bright energy. You're like, that fresh air. It's exactly yeah. what I need. It helps me think and reflect. Oh, I, I just recorded a podcast the other day about how I'd convert a workshop to a keynote speech. And the first thing I do is go for a walk. I love that, by the yeah. way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's just it's just get out and go for a walk. I think we're so tempted to hop on a computer and start tapping into PowerPoint, but anytime I need inspiration, ideas, thank goodness, I just get the best ideas when I'm outside um, on a walk. So, yeah. Okay, that was such a good topic. I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to mention it as well. So one one tip to turn a workshop into a keynote is get up and go for a walk. I know you talk about opening with a story, mm. but what would you say – what would you say is like the number one thing for people who are used to, and by the way, okay, sorry, I just have to say this because I forgot earlier. Someone else told me and pointed out that if you're seen as just a facilitator, which I don't want to, you know, make that sound bad, but it's more of a commodity. Like yes. there are more facilitators who will raise their hand and deliver any training for anyone. And that's a perfectly good job, but that you're not differentiating yourself as the expert or thought leader, whether you love that term or not. And I thought that was such an interesting perspective on making that shift from facilitator to expert that you've been talking about. So what could help people who they're, they have some experience in front of a classroom leading workshops, but to actually convert that into a powerful keynote TED style? Well, I think the real value of the fact that you've been delivering in a workshop is that you've actually heard the conversations that arise from the topic you're talking about. So the best thing is that you're getting intel while you're in a room. You're getting objections from people. You're getting the questions I want answered. You're hearing when the energy is increased. So it's the perfect fuel for then converting it to a keynote. Like I said, back to the Jung quote, it's, it's within you already. You've delivered these workshops. So I would suggest parking. Don't, don't be tempted. What I would have done back in 2013 is I would have gotten my workshop slides and then just taken out the interactive points to make it a keynote. But it's a complete redesign. It's a whole new medium, the keynote um, stage. So get outside, just start plotting down what were the key things that came out? When, your, when was your group most excited? What do you want your audience, of course, back to the whole empathy mapping thing can feel afterwards? And then where you can, I talk about unpredictability a lot in my on my podcast, is where can you bring in some unpredictable moments and weave that in through your keynote using some contrasting mediums? So you might open with a story, then you might share some data, then you might get a couple of people to turn to each other and answer a question, then you might show a slide. So just mixing up where you can and creating contrast and weaving that in uh, through your keynote speech. I think those are my key elements, contrast and unpredictability. I love it. And I would add to the unpredictability example, the most unpredictable wild moment. I mean, this sounds wild, maybe for a nerd like me, but (laughs) we were in the audience and the speaker said, okay, everyone take out your phone, unlock your phone, and now hand it to the person next to you. Okay, you have 30 seconds to look at all the apps on their phone and how they have their home screen set up. Oh, God, isn't that so vulnerable? They were like, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But the ex- talk about unpredictable, the experience of having a perfect stranger 
looking at your phone oh and your apps, gosh. but then the the pure voyeuristic joy of looking at <laughs> what do they have and how do they have it set up? I mean, God forbid anyone open the photo app, you know, like let's not know what's in there. But uh, it was just, wow, oh. so visceral, such a visceral moment. Ah, I love that. Very visceral. And you're talking about it today. That's how you yes. right, yeah, become memorable. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing I would say is, if the workshop is how to do something, the keynote needs to sizzle. It's like the big idea. And I think, you know, the great Seth Godin, like he has talked about this, that there's, there's speeches that inspire and then there's speeches that inform or help you implement. And I would say that a good keynote has to have some big ideas in it. It's, and I, I like making them interactive because I don't like to just stand and talk, you know, like you said. Yeah, view those mediums very differently. Workshop is how to do it, and the keynote is to inspire uh, and to supercharge your thinking around a topic for sure. Okay, Leanne, last question before we close out. This is my my new usual on this show. If you could give listeners permission for one thing, what would it be? Permission to be okay and not knowing what you want to do and where you want to go. It's okay because I'm I'm living that right now and. I, it's something actually I have to remind myself of often, but I know that there's good things ahead. I have faith that there's great things ahead. It's just being okay with being stuck and not having it all figured out right now. That is so beautiful. Thank you for reminding us that it's okay. And I do feel, I mean, I, I described that in episode one of this show. It's like, I'm 10 years in. When do I give myself permission just to talk about it out loud, you know, and still not even feel like an expert, but to share along the way. And I realized this goes full circle back to podcasters like Pat Flynn is it's actually so rewarding to hear somebody in the middle of a journey. It's so refreshing. It's like we have so many experts in the interwebs. So I really love this permission that you just gave us. Thank you, Leanne. Oh, thank you for opening up this conversation. It's probably rare that I'd share something like this on a podcast, but for the fact that it's you, you've been such a leader in my life. Thank you for everything that you do. Thanks for this show. And any opportunity to connect with you is just amazing. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you so much, Leanne. Well, I feel the same way. As you know, I've been just delighted watching your skyrocketing journey from the day I met you. So go, go, go. I know we'll <laughs> all be following what you do next and where you take things from here, where would you like to send people if they want to keep in touch? Amazing. Yeah. So they can um, head on over to leannehughes.com where they can find out my services, but also the podcast First Time Facilitator, where, as you said, I help create, um, help people create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. I mean, that is such a good tagline. You know, I love that tagline. I think that can still work for your expert pivot. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs a bit more unpredictability in their lives. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so, so much, Leanne. And thank you, everybody for listening. If you've listened this far, you get a gold star. Thank you. Word of mouth is the most joyful way we can grow this show. And it helps us land interviews with the luminaries and insightful guests that you would most love to hear from. Please send this episode to a friend who might find it helpful. And for show notes and related links from this episode, visit itsfreetime.com. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the Time Well Spent newsletter. You'll get instant access to my tech toolkit, a continually updated list of all the software I use, along with the total monthly spend to run my business, where no one works full-time, even me. Visit itsfreetime.com join. Remember, you are running the show. It's time for radical reimagining and everything is up for grabs. 
Let it be easy. Let it be fun. And build with love.